0: Support for The Zest comes from People's Gas, delivering clean, efficient, and affordable natural gas for cooking at home with precise temperature control. More at floridasenergy.com. The real secret to pie dough in general is just lots and lots and lots of practice.
1: I'm Robin Sessingham and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. This week, we're indulging in some of our favorites. We'll hear baking tips from the author of Sister Pie. We'll learn about the history of Tampa's love affair with Cafe Con Leche. And to cool off in these relentlessly hot days of summer, we'll taste... Tampa Bay's craft beer scene. Sweets, suds, and a jolt of caffeine coming up on The Zest. What to do with all the gorgeous summer fruit that's available right now. The answer just might be pie, and baker Lisa Ludwinski is taking it to a new level. She's the owner and head baker of Detroit's Sister Pie, and author of the cookbook, Sister Pie, The Recipes and Stories of a Big-Hearted Bakery in Detroit. Our correspondent Janet Keeler recently chatted with the two-time James Beard Award semifinalist about why she thinks pie is making a comeback, how social media has played a part in her success, and... Yes, we all need this tips for baking a better pie crust.
2: Hey, Lisa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for taking some time to talk to us today about your wonderful cookbook, Sister Pie. I spent my some, pleasure uh, spent some uh, time with it over the past few days, and it's really lovely. The photographs are beautiful.
0: Well, oh, thank you. We worked with an incredible local photographer named Emily Berger, and she was able to. Kind of bring a whole new perspective to our bakery and our, our baked goods. So it was a real treat.
2: The book feels very, very modern, very contemporary to me. Your story is very contemporary because of the crowdsourcing that you did to to raise money, to get it going. And um, So tell us a little bit about the philosophy of Sister Pie.
0: I uh, started Sister Pie about six and a half years ago. And my intention with starting it was that I wanted to have a food business that had a mission beyond just making money and making good food. And so when Sister Pie was created, um, and it's called Sister Pie because it's a nickname that my younger sister and I have shared for each other, um, I was able to even like kind of deepen that perspective and, and think about what sisterhood could look like in a business. Well, so I think we should all think about that as we
2: give our siblings nicknames. Right? What can we eventually use for a business? A yeah, business how can name? We profit on this? <laughs> that was really fortuitous, wasn't it?:
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't really call each other that anymore, but um, in my family, nicknames always morph into a variety <laughs> of weird things, so we actually stopped calling each other that a long time ago.
2: <laughs> Let's talk about some of the some of the recipes and uh, some of the ways that you came about them. One of the things I really like about the cookbook is all the tips that you give. Oh, good. <laughs> there's so many. There's so many fantastic tips. And let's start first with with the the idea of baking a crust and why that's so uh, why that's so difficult for so many people. And when I say people, I mean me uh, to roll out a pie crust. W- what's the What's the big challenge?
0: Well, I think pie dough is for sure the most intimidating part of making mm-hmm. pie for anyone, and everyone kind of is t- intimidated by a different step. I think. Um, For the rollout process, people often don't rest their dough long enough, and that results in a dough that is, you know, crumbling apart when you go to roll it out or it's too warm, and so it's melting really quickly. Um, And so I think it's about kind of making sure that you've rested your dough in the fridge, that it's really, really cold. And then from there, it's about following, you know, really basic steps and not trying to kind of over Overwork it or mm-hmm. overdo it, and so I've really tried in the book to lay those steps out as clearly and as simply as possible, so that um, it's kind of foolproof. But with that said, the real secret to pie dough in general is just lots and lots and lots of practice.
2: Yeah, that's true. For some reason, that's not working for me, but I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try one of these recipes in here, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm determined to conquer the uh, pie dough with your with your instructions. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the recipes. Um, When we talk about modern recipes, there's certainly some that you've put a modern twist on. Can you talk about some of them that you particularly like?
0: Sure. Um, Well, I guess I'll start by saying that, you know, we're a seasonal bakery. So we're working with farmers in Michigan to make sure that we're utilizing the produce that they're growing at the time of year that it's meant to be grown. And so I think A really cool example of a pie that we make is one called Blue Barb Blossom. (laughs) It's kind of a mouthful. But um, we use Michigan blueberries, Michigan rhubarb. And it's this beautiful time in the year when both of those are growing. It usually happens in July. And then we have some friends who have a farm in Detroit. And they grow all sorts of things. But what I especially love are these edible flowers that they grow. So calendula and marigolds. And we'll take those flowers from them and we'll kind of pick off all of the petals. Um, We'll pulse them in a food processor with some granulated sugar. And then we'll use that to sweeten the pie. And we'll also put little petals of flowers in the crumble topping. And so the pie itself, once it's baked and cooled, has this nice sort of floral aroma and taste. It's not something that's going to I think turn you off from the pie, but it just adds a slightly more interesting element and also allows us to kind of showcase these people that we work with. And I think that's really what it's about for us is, is using the resources around us to make something interesting and delicious. So I'm looking at that recipe right now, the blue barb blossom pie. <laughs> and I see it has two
2: packed tablespoons of mixed fresh edible flower petals. And you named some of them, the uh, calendula and marigold bachelor buttons. So what if, you, what if you're not lucky enough to live around a place where we can get those and, and you leave that out? Well, or should you put something else in? Um, or should we just come visit
0: you in Detroit? Any and all of the above. I mean, I, I do <laughs> think I think those those flowers are pretty accessible. Okay. Um, during the summer months, but mm-hmm. uh, spe- like wherever you are, I think there's probably got to be a farm or a place at your farmer's market where they're growing those types of flowers. It's definitely totally okay to leave them out. Okay. Um, another thing you could do is is use dried flowers, so like lavender buds mm, or rose okay. petals and those are going to tend to be a little bit stronger sure. in their flavor. Would you use scent. less
2: since they're dry? Yeah, a so I would potent. use
0: less. Okay. Can you uh, talk maybe about a favorite? Um, you have some savory recipes in here too. Yeah, uh, we have lots of savory recipes. I think my favorite one is also probably our most popular at the bakery. It's the egg on top galette. Mm-hmm. It's in the breakfast chapter. And a galette is kind of like a free-form pie. And so this one has a buckwheat buttermilk pie crust. And then we layer um, sweet potatoes and cheddar on the bottom of it mm. um, that are seasoned you know, with just some salt and pepper and olive oil. And then we kind of fold it up so that it looks really nice. We bake that in the oven at kind of a high temperature. And then once it's almost done, we take it out of the oven, decrease the oven temperature by quite a bit. And we crack an egg on top and then put a little salt and pepper on that. Back in the oven it goes. And... It is just a really special breakfast treat. And I think making it at home is almost even better than getting it at the bakery because at the huh. bakery, you know, maybe it's you're getting it when it's sat for 10 minutes. But when you can eat that galette straight from the oven with that beautifully cooked egg and maybe a side of Dijon mustard, it's just heavenly. Well, and
2: I'll tell you, it sounds fantastic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely try that. But uh, for for a pastry challenged cook, the galette, I'm all about the galette, right? Yeah, you can do that kind of free form thing. Yeah, so it's a, supposed it's a little to bit look of rustic a lazy pie, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's supposed to look rustic. That's for what sure. I always say. Yeah.
0: What is it about pie that people love so much? I think pie is very welcoming. It's very homey. It makes you think of your childhood. What I like about pie a lot is that it's um, a shared dessert. You know, it always kind of welcomes a a family to sit down and eat together or a group of friends to sit down and eat together because it's really a, a food that's meant to be shared. And I think that there's kind of some warm, fuzzy feelings that, that come with pie, and everyone thinks of pie as, as true comfort food. Thank you very much, and I wish you a lot of luck
2: as you as you uh, continue with the bakery and, and also working on this book and your next book, maybe. We'll look forward to that.
1: Oh, yeah. We'll see. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks, Lisa. That was the Zest correspondent, Janet Keeler, speaking with Lisa Ludwinski of the Detroit Bakery Sister Pie and the author of the cookbook of the same name. You can find recipes for some of Lisa's pies, including sweet potato coconut pie, apple sage gouda pie, rhubarb rosemary streusel pie, and more on our website, thezestpodcast.com. Next, how about some Cuban coffee with that pie? It turns out that coffee played an important role during the heyday of Tampa's cigar industry. Rodney Kite Powell of the Tampa Bay History Center breaks down our region's love affair with coffee and explains how to make proper Tampa-style café con leche.
3: Café con leche—it's coffee with milk—but it really is a lot more than that. Um, in Tampa's history, it's 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 almost one of those kind of cultural paragons. It's it's one of those things that that has fueled, so to speak, uh, the city for well over a hundred years. And its its importance in the cigar factories is something that, and uh, all uh, that you hear about the cigar industry isn't talked about a lot.
1: So the cigar industry was really... Uh, central to the the birth of Tampa, especially an area called Ybor City, where the Cuban immigrants would come, and they often worked in the cigar factories. We're talking about the turn of the 20th century.
3: Yes, absolutely. And so not only Ybor City, but West Tampa. There there were two large manufacturing centers for for the cigar industry, and uh, it absolutely contributed to the birth of the modern city of Tampa, uh, beginning in the 1880s. And most of the workforce was Cuban, although there were Spaniards and Italians that were uh, in in both Ybor City and West Tampa. But it was the Cuban workforce that that particularly enjoyed that uh, that cup of coffee. And the 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 idea of the cigar industry—it's a hand uh, crafted industry. There there were no machines at that time. There later in the nineteen late nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, they introduced machines, but prior to that, you were sitting at a table as a cigar worker and you were just rolling cigars, you know, cigar after cigar, hour after hour and you needed to be at your bench to do that and they wanted to make sure you didn't uh, just go home, you know, to <laughs> and then not come back because they needed that, that work done so they, you actually had a relationship between cigar factories and restaurants that were that were close by and you had uh, what were called cafeteros generally men who would come with pre-mixed and pre-sweetened cafe con leche and they would bring just large pots of it to the factory and they would pour cups of coffee during people's workday, and so their coffee break was taken at their workbench so they could keep going mm. and is that caffeine and that sugar that uh that rolled over 400 million cigars every year in tampa
1: so you didn't need an espresso machine. They went ahead and pre-mixed it.
3: Yeah, well, of course they were making it an espresso machine, but yeah, they would have they would have already had the the coffee made. They would have already had the milk steamed, and they would have they would be sweetening it with sugar and sweetened condensed milk. And so that's one of those keys um, in the manufacturing for those who want to try their hand at making their own café con leche, um, putting a little bit of salt in the coffee and using uh, sweetened condensed milk uh, as well as a little bit of sugar to sweeten it. Uh, will get you that uh, kind of authentic café con leche taste.
1: Okay, so take me through it. What kind of beans?
3: Well, um, they are espresso beans, and so they're Where, Would they be roasting them? Yeah, here they're in ro- Tampa? Yeah, absolutely. There, there were coffee roasters, and still are coffee roasters. Uh, Naviera being the big one here in Tampa, and so of course the coffee beans are grown around the, the world, uh, not in Florida, although they they've tried to do that. Um, and so you roast them, and you roast them darker, and, and so people have. The idea that it's it, the strong taste implies a stronger and higher caffeine content, but actually, that roasting uh, will take away some of the caffeine. It uh, takes some
1: of the acidity out too. It
3: does, and so so you have, and the, and the salt will kind of kind of balance that out as well. Um, and so you uh, you run your espresso machine after having the the coffee roasted and ground, and um, and sometimes at that point. Some some don't want the, the, the leche. They want just the coffee, and so it's cafe solo, uh, which would be sweetened, though. Sugar is, because of uh, the Cuban origins of this particular version of of, uh, of coffee and milk, the sugar is pretty important. Um, and then that sweetened condensed milk, um, and from, from, from the preservation standpoint, because milk will spoil uh, prior to refrigeration. So having that sweetened condensed milk allows it to... Just to store and, and be more stable for the shelf life, so you have to have the, the, the coffee, the espresso, but also steamed milk. It's not cold milk. It's not boiled milk, and so it's a little different than a café au lait in um, in New Orleans. And so where this the, the milk is steamed. And uh, and, sp- and you can kind of do your own proportion. Some like half and half, half milk, half coffee. Some like a lot more coffee. Some like a lot more milk. Um, and then that sweetened condensed milk to sweeten it, and a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, and you're on your way.
1: Rodney Kite Powell, a historian with the Tampa Bay History Center. Thank you, Rodney. My pleasure. There are a lot of opinions on the right way to make Cafe Con Leche, but we found a recipe that's close to the way that Rodney describes it, and it's on our website, thezestpodcast.com. Florida's craft beer industry is booming. I recently sat down with some local brewers and industry insiders, and we came up with some perfect craft beers for these hot summer months. Tampa Bay is a craft beer hub, and here to discuss craft beer with us is Neil Callahan, brand ambassador for Cigar City Brewing. We've got Danny Dom, she's the co-owner of Mastery's Brewery in Saint Pete Beach, and Sean Nordquist, executive director of the Florida Brewers Guild, and Stephanie Columbini, Florida Matters producer, just came in here because she wants to try some of this beer too. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Okay, so what I would like to do with all of you is give us kind of a Craft Beer 101 of the different types of beer and their differences. But first, Neil um, Callahan brought in some different things for us to taste from Cigar City Brewing. I'm holding a Cucumber it's a
4: cucumber Saison,
1: and this is a says it's a farmhouse ale with natural flavors added. So we're going to crack these open sure. right now and see what we think. Has everybody got the same thing here? Mm-hmm.
4: We're all okay. drinking the same thing.
5: Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
4: Ooh. I always t- try to show up with beer and make a lot more friends doing you that.
0: You make so <laughs> many yeah. friends
1: like that, Neil? Okay. So, like I'm cucumber. not going to drink too much of it because I've got to get to the end of this podcast but, oh, uh, I'll help you out.
4: <laughs> so I was telling Sean, um, Sean's been around the brewery for years and years, so he's seen this beer grow from um, 2012 was the first year we, we brewed this beer. Um, we, did it, we had brewed it draft only for quite a while. Then we moved it over to 22-ounce bottles. And this is the first time we're ever putting
6: it in 12-ounce cans. So that's why when Sean saw it, his eyes kind of lit up and went, whoa, really? Okay. I, I have it's lo- delicious. I've, yeah, I have loved this beer since since the first time it came out. Um, in fact, I think the first time I had it was probably at uh, Hunapu's Day um, in 2012, which is the big festival that Cigar City does every year, <clears throat> and somebody brought me a, just a, a little sample of it. Didn't tell me what it was, and I just I had I probably had the same reaction then. My eyes lit it because because it's so light and refreshing, and has that that cucumber flavor to it, a which background. I really liked. Yeah. Um, and it's not overpowering. It's uh, and so I've I've been a big fan of this beer for uh, forever, and I didn't realize that it was going to be in cans. So I'm really excited now.
1: <laughs> so where can people pick this up? This is this uh, from Cigar City Brewing.
6: The cucumber saison that's exclusive to our
4: tap room that's over on Spruce Street in Tampa. Um, that's a beer that we might look into distributing around the Tampa Bay area at some point, but for right now, this is exclusive to the Cigar City Brewery on Spruce Street.
1: Okay, so Cigar City is distributing nationally now, aren't you?
4: Twenty-two states correct.
1: Okay, wow. Okay, so this is delicious. Um, And this says it's a farmhouse ale. Is that a type of beer, like an IPA or something? Is farmhouse one of the types?
4: Sure, it's the word saison is really the style uh, designation on this one. So saison, it's a beer that originated in Belgium. Um, Originally, obviously the word saison means season in French. So originally this was a beer that was brewed. Um, in the spring, usually fermented over the summer when there were warmer temperatures, and then served to Belgian farmhands during the harvest in the fall. So it was meant to be an effervescent, refreshing beer. Sometimes it can end up being a little higher on the ABV. You'll see 6, 7, 8% Saison sometimes. With this one, we went on the lower end, so 4.2% on this one. Um, for the style itself, the Saison, you expect a little bit of bitterness. You're also going to get a little bit of like a cracked black pepper um, phenolic quality. So just a little bit of uh, spice to it. You also expect some herbaceous quality, lemongrass, lemongrass rather, fresh-cut grass. Again, think earthy, herbal, light, effervescent, refreshing. And then in this beer, we're adding a cucumber essence, so it's essentially a distillate of cucumber. Um, It's 100% natural. It's nothing uh, fake or artificial that's in any of our beers. Um, In the past, it's been a little bit more cucumber-forward. So it was a very polarizing beer for quite a while. If you liked <laughs> cucumber, people lost their minds over it. If you weren't such a cucumber fan, it, was, uh, it wasn't it was the beer for you. Now we've kind of scaled the amount of cucumber back just a bit. I feel like that black pepper, that spiciness kind of comes through the mm-hmm. beer a lot more, really in a complementary way to the cucumber in the beer.
1: Is this available all year round, or do you have summer... Summer beers and fall beers? We're all over
4: the map. We have some beers like the Highly IPA that are available all year round, 365 days a year. We have some beers that are available seasonal. So maybe three months out of the year, you'll be able to get something like um, Cubano Espresso Brown Ale. We have some beers that are available just for one day. Sean mentioned uh, Hunapu's, which is a big imperial stout that's only available one day a year. This one sort of falls in the we're brewing it every now and then to see how the market reacts to it.
1: Okay, so Danny... Um, Neil is brand ambassador. So I think he's very, very good at describing <laughs> beer, isn't he? <laughs> he
7: sure but is. what about your most popular? Tell us a couple of your most popular kinds of beer and describe those. Sure. Well, I've got a Saison on my mind. Uh, we have a Beach House Saison and that's in distribution um, to some select places across uh, Pinellas County. But that is um, more of a traditional style Saison. So stone fruity. Um, I I find it's a gateway for a lot of wine drinkers we will try it because it's... Not overly hoppy, um, you know, it's really refreshing, and it's something we have on top. It's one of our flagship beers, okay. so we try to have it on all that the time. That is great
1: advice, right there, because a lot of it's my friends that are wine drinkers that might go to a craft beer uh, place and want to try something, this could be a Saison, and it's spelled S A
7: I S O N. That could mm-hmm. be a good thing to try then. Yeah. So, what does yours taste like? So, like I said, um, stone fruit, Very. it's just um, effervescent, um, light. It's a medium color, though. So a lot of times, like we said earlier, um, the color can be deceiving. So don't go just on color when you're choosing a beer or be scared if you get a taste and it's more of a golden color. Um, So ours is grapey, but not um, sweet necessarily. But it's just very smooth.
1: Um. Sean Nordquist, what do you what do you want to describe? What do you suggest for these hot summer months?
6: Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, I, I've been involved in beer for a really long time, um, and and I think most people go through an evolution of the styles they like. Uh, you know, I started off uh, really being drawn to the stouts and, and porters. I liked the darker. Uh, the maltier side of things, a little bit sweeter. I think
1: of those as thicker. I know. <coughs> well, is that like Guinness? Would yeah, Guinness? Yeah, like, like
6: Guinness w- w- would be. An, and now Guinness is a uh, uh, you know th- that's that dry Irish stout that's um, that's they use nitrogen with it. So that's what gives it that real sort of creamy mouthfeel oh. and that, and real mm-hmm. thick head on it, um, which you'll actually find a lot of a uh, lot of cr- craft breweries doing now using nitrogen. Uh, so they'll take some of their uh, their porters and stouts and sometimes even their IPAs and other ones uh, and using nitrogen. To, and it gives it a really smooth, soft mouthfeel to it, which is nice. Um, people also, you know, I moved in for a while into the, the hoppy field. where I was a big hop head for also IPAs, double IPAs, you know, things, you know, the more hops, the better. Um, sours, which are really, you know, s- some can be really interesting uh, you know, everything from really funky and strange and you think there might be something wrong with this <laughs> to the point of just being really tart um, and really uh, you know really sort of puckering. Um, I find myself now coming back to some more traditional things like um, like an English bitter or a mild or a brown ale that's um, just it's just a really it, it, almost like a comfort food, like, almost like a comfort beer. Uh, you know it, it's you know moderate alcohol, you know four to five percent maybe 6%. Um, you know, it's it's, uh, it's really smooth. It's not, it's really well balanced. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a, I still, I think I'm probably still a hop head at heart. So I like the American pale ales. Um, you know, I like the IPAs, uh, you know, out on the beach, I'm going to go with probably a, a American pale ales, a little bit lower in alcohol. I can have a few more of them when I'm on the beach or on a boat.
1: Well, what has to be in beer to make, to make it beer? Hops?
6: Hops. What? Barley, water, and yeast are the four. They
1: have to be – those things have to the, be in there, and then you can play with that.
6: And you can do and – well, and hops, you know, hops are actually probably a little bit uh, – you know, I mean, I would say the vast majority of beer are going to have hops. There, there are some beers that are made uh, without hops. Um, they use other things as a uh, as a bittering agent or as a balance. Um, you won't find very Is many hops of those. Is hops
1: what makes it bitter?
6: Uh, it, it's part of it. There's also the, the kind of bitter you can get from some some roasted malts. Will give a, a bitter like a, like the the bitterness of, of coffee or or dark chocolate. You can also get from the malt.
1: So what else would you guys advise for someone who is used to uh, Budweiser? Something that seems kind of um, I won't say bland, but it's easy. You know, easy to drink. Um, it's not going to be too bitter. Or too sour. Um, what's a good entry level? Uh, craft beer for somebody like me.
6: I, yeah, my, I, th- I think the thing to do is is find the brewery that's closest to your house and go there. We talked ask about them. It. We, yeah, mm-hmm. we talked about it earlier. Go ask, say you know, hey, I'm normally a, a a bud drinker or a Miller drinker or whatever, and I'd like to try something craft beer, but you know what I've had is you know it's, it's been too much. It's too strong. It's too um You are more going to be more than uh, welcomed into that group. Saying we've got. Here, try this. And it's probably going to be a golden ale, a lager, um, a pilsner, something like that to start with. And then then that's going to open doors to to more and more styles. And the the beer that Cigar City usually
4: uses to kind of open that door for the non-craft drinker, it's just called lager. It's called Cigar City lager. It's a German-style lager, all German ingredients with the exception of the water, which is obviously from Tampa, light, crisp, easy drinking compared to a Budweiser. It is going to be even a little bit lighter in body. Um, Budweiser is using corn. It's using some rice as well. Um, which sometimes to me, I always think corn kind of coats the tongue a little bit where you're not going to get that with lager. Um, but it's not an overly bitter beer. It's moderate ABV, four and a half percent. So it puts it in that same ballpark as your regular Budweiser or your Miller. Um, it's not a beer we designed specifically for the light beer drinker, but it's a beer that I always put in front of a light beer drinker, and usually I'll get a, okay, yeah, I, I can drink that. I can get into that. Um, and again, you're interfacing with a, a product that was brewed in Tampa, and you're interfacing with a product that um, it's, it's got more thought, it's got more soul behind it than drinking a Budweiser that you can drink anywhere in the world.
1: All right, you're brewing in here, but where are you getting your ingredients Are your hops coming from all the way across the country or from across the world, and how hard is it to ship? Are they fragile uh, ingredients?
4: Essentially, you're processing most most breweries in the country, even in the Pacific Northwest, which is closer to a hop-growing region, are using pelletized hops. So essentially, you're breaking the hop down, forcing it through a dye, and it kind of looks like little rat pieces of rabbit food. So it's making it more stable, it's maintaining more of the essential oils, and it's not introducing as much vegetation. It's not um, literally taking up as much space in the kettle as the pellets are, or the whole cone flowers are taking up more space in that kettle than the Pellets would be. Um, So for the most part, you're not going to see brewers in Florida using fresh hops or wet hops, whereas in certain other parts of the world, like on the West Coast, for instance, they'll do wet hop beer. So that means that within 24 hours, they're pulling those hop cones off of the vine, sending it to the brewer, and within 24 hours, those hops are in a beer. For us in Florida, we're typically using hops that are a few months old. Best case scenario would be a few months old. They've been
1: kind of dried out or dehydrated?
4: Dried out. They're put in um, vacuum-sealed bags. They're stored cold. So we're doing everything we can to maintain the freshness Mm -hmm. of those hops. Stephanie,
5: what kind of beer do you like? I'm a hop head. I love the IPAs, the APAs. Partially started as like a college kid that wanted to get the bang for your buck because you can, you know, pay the same price and get something that's like 7% alcohol. But I also just <laughs> lo- love the, the hoppy taste um, and the floral taste. Um, so if I'm at a concert or something, I would pick up hi um on tap or whatever. Um, I can appreciate like a coffee stout or something like that, but this, the darker beers are a little too heavy for me. So I usually go with the ales. What's a hoppy taste? It's like bitter, I guess, and, and kind of floral. So I I'm, I, love it, but I have a lot of friends who take one sip of an IPA and they just like make this face and they're like, oh, God, I can't. It's face. too harsh. Yeah. Yeah. That's,
4: that, that's probably the easiest analogy is to say that hoppy means bitter, but that's not always the case. highlight IPA, which is our – that's our flagship, for instance – I think of it as a very hoppy beer, but it's not a bitter beer. So sometimes those, those two are not always synonymous. Hops can also mean bright tangerine, grapefruit, clementine flavor. Mm-hmm. They can mean – there's new experimental hops. There's one called Lemon Drop that literally tastes like lemon so, drops. So something
1: acidic, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. When you talk about those citrusy flavors, I know. Yeah. Well, we just have to drink more beer. Right, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's,
6: it's also, Do we pl- want to try some highlight?
1: Do you have that? Yeah, yes. yes. Oh my God! I, I came prepared. <laughs> so
6: one of the things to remember too, though, is that um, to to talk about something being hoppy uh, is you really can't say you know well what does hoppy taste like because at this point I don't even know how many different varieties of hops there are. Um, it, I mean, is it over a hundred now different varieties? Thousands. Oh no, because now okay thousands of, of so and you have everything from things that are very. Um, you know for lack of a better term dank and resiny and and there's some that you know that taste and smell like marijuana there's some that that taste and smell like grapefruit so you have this wide range of of you know of aromatics and flavors and bitterness that um you know to say oh yeah well well this one's really hoppy that in and of itself doesn't necessarily describe what it, it is you're actually tasting all right Be- but
1: but this one, but this okay, one... we're going to open this. This, yeah. this, this. this is a this ho- one's high Hoppy. This okay, is, this is, this is Hoppy, so we're going to get an idea of what sure. Hoppy tastes like. Yum. So,
4: Sean, Sean <laughs> was mentioning earlier, IPAs are the biggest category in craft beer by heads and shoulders. What sets Highline apart, and why I think Highlight' has found so much success in the IPA category, is that it's not an overly bitter IPA. You're going to get this little bit of orange peel, tangerine, clementine quality. You're going to get a little bit of caramel. It's coming from the malt that we're using. Just a touch of bitterness. The bitterness is in there to provide balance. It's not supposed to beat you over the head with the bitterness.
1: But it's there. So it's like the pith of the of the tangerine <clears throat> peel or the yes, lemon sure. peel. And people yeah. love it. Stephanie is loving it. <laughs> I am going back to the cucumber Saison <laughs> immediately. I mean that is this the Saison is so much more. For me, sure,
4: sure, and that's the. This f- is
1: bitter for me. This this highlight, and I know this is super popular. It, well, it is super it's popular the,
4: right now. Highlight IPA. Mm-hmm. Highlight IPA is the number one selling craft six pack can in grocery stores in the country.
5: What? Wow! And, and we're
4: only in twenty two states.
5: That's amazing. What
1: really? Absolutely. Okay, we're going to have to fact check that. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs>
4: oh, you can. It's so you know. I, I don't know if we need to include this in the podcast, but
1: it's all included. If,
4: <laughs> if, if you are. You need to be specific. Craft six pack can. So if it's if it's wow. a six pack in glass, that then right. we're talking about a different mm-hmm. category. If we're talking about um, a twelve pack can, different category. But craft six pack can in the entire country, all through essentially IRI is, is a, a data collection group that just if you scan a barcode, grocery stores, total wine, mm-hmm. um, ABC those pl- those kinds of places report through IRI. So this is the number one selling craft six-pack can in the entire country.
5: Muzzle tub.
4: Thank you. We're trying. <laughs> Cheers.
5: So Cheers. You brought up Goose Island. Is that still considered a craft beer? Right, because it's owned by InBev own- or yeah. anheuser busch Yeah. yeah.
4: Correct. And, and again, yeah. go. I think most of us defer to the Brewers Association definition, <clears throat> which is small, independent, and traditional.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's owned by InBev, but 20% of it is still brewed? They're,
4: they're 100% they they're owned are, by, by yeah. Budweiser.
1: Okay, so that's not craft beer. It started right? as Correct. craft beer in chi- okay. Chicago, I Chicago. believe, yeah. and then
5: they were bought.
1: Stephanie Columbini, Florida Matters producer. Sean Nordquist, executive director of the Florida Brewers Guild. Neil Callahan, brand ambassador for Cigar City Brewing, and Danny Dom, co owner of Mastery's Brewery in St. Pete Beach. Thank you all for being here.
6: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you.
1: That conversation originally aired on the podcast Florida Matters More. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. We love sharing our enthusiasm for Florida's food scene. And you can help us spread the word by sharing our Facebook posts at The Zest Podcast Facebook page. You can find recipes from our stories at thezestpodcast.com. I'm Robin Sussingham. Dalia Colon and I produce The Zest with help from Megan Trimble, Mark Hayes, and Craig George. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media.